Ladies and gentlemen and any individual listening, welcome back to the 15th, 15th, 15th episode of Shay Station. I looked at you like as if you would know, you know? <laughs> I literally wanted to say this is number one. This is our first <laughs> off season. So this is a reset. Right. Season, we're off season episode one because then we can go season two episode one for oh, next year. Oh, I like it. Like we're like at some kind of TV show or something. Yeah, and that'll be easier for you to say episode 144. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? You could just be like season two, episode five. I like your optimism that you think we're going to get picked up for 144 episodes. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's hey, you're rocking so much <laughs> merch that like you're paying for yourself. Yeah, you know, I got to I gotta keep the brand alive. I also just like the black and white. I think it's a good look. I mean, it's it's a clean look. The hat, simple, very dad hat. I'm rocking a dad hat as we speak, so. I want to, uh, first off, by the way, speaking on the other end of this line is Jerry Blevins, former pitcher for the New York Mets, in case you didn't know. I want to congratulate Jerry on his Bengals being 3-1 and one to start the season. Joey Burrow, baby, how you feeling about it? Great, man. Joey Burrow looks the part. You know, we were worried after he had that devastating knee injury last year as a rookie, but he came back uh, and he looks fantastic. Um, their defense has got some holes. Their offensive line is a little shaky, uh, but I'm happy, man. They look great. Yeah, he looked really good under pressure and in the pocket and stuff. So all encouraging things. Uh, and, you know, I, as you know, I'm also riding high because of my recent uh, Bino tournament. Don't know if you caught the stream. Uh, it was a decisive 7-6 to six victory over Joe's McFly. A lot of controversy laden in the match, but uh, ball don't lie is what I'll say about that. That's all I'll say. That's the truth. Well, you know, I have no idea what Bino is. I saw it. It's like a, <laughs> I saw the game, a little clip of what's going on, and I dig it. So I love, I'm all for competition. Oh, yeah. Little friendly banter. Oh, yeah. The little games, games of skill. I love it. And to you represent it. Yeah, it was a big week for us. I'm not going to lie. Outside of Mets <laughs> things, it was, a, it was a big week for us. Good. That's great. Uh, I also want to talk a little postseason brackets because I think we both were on the call f- uh, on Talking Baseball yesterday, but I didn't get to hear all of your picks because I was uh, like folding laundry and I got the call. Apparently they called me and then I didn't answer, but I never got the call. So it just made me look like a bad guy, but that's beside the point. I think we both went Yankees last night, right? So we're both already 0 for 1. Yeah. Well, we can open with that. I, I I bet on Garrett Cole. I bet on the ace. I bet on the $300 million and he did not show up and I lost. So that's, that's, you know, that's what they, the Yankees signed him up for. That's what they were expecting is in a big spot game seven game. You know, that's like a game seven. You expect a guy to step up and he, and he did not look the part for whatever reason. Our producer, Mr. Jack, also a Jack, not, not me. Cause there's two Jacks on the program. Uh, he's a big Yankee fan. He was uh, very upset last night, uh, to say the yeah. least. But uh, I also had the Yanks uh, winning the wild card. I think, do we both have the Cardinals tonight? Uh, I've got, <laughs> again, I'm going to, I'm taking Scherzer, man. I can, will not bet against Scherzer, the most competitive human in the world that I've ever come across. Uh, and he looks amazing. So the Cardinals are on a roll. They've got a great offense. Wainwright has been pitching you know, amazing himself, but, uh, I've got, I've got Scherzer. Yeah. I, I picked to the Cardinals in that, my little bracket that I posted on Twitter, but then when I had the call and like, it came down to it, I was like, ah. so I kind of switched up. I feel kind of bad. I feel like, but the game hasn't started yet. It's not like they went up five, nothing. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm going to go the Dodgers. 
still before game time, so I'm going to go Dodgers there. But can I get the, can I get the rest of your postseason bracket? Yeah, so I felt the same way about we'll go we'll start at the National League. So uh, Atlanta, Milwaukee. I went back and forth because I love the Braves. I love what they're doing. I just feel like they they're missing too many of their big stars. Like they don't, you know, Acuna being out is is huge for them. Um, and then you know I don't think any starter outside of Morton and Freed. I don't know what they're going to do. Ian Anderson solid. I just feel like it's, they can't get past Corbin Burns and Woodruff. Like we saw firsthand as Mets fans, how good Corbin Burns is. Oh yeah. And their game one and game two, they just announced today in Milwaukee. So like, yeah. And you've got to beat those guys both once at least, you know, to, to, to move on. Uh, I think it's just too much. I want to pick Atlanta because I, I like their team. I like their environment. I love that, you know, just the whole thing about their organization. I'm a big fan, um, but I got to go with the Brewers, man. Okay. Yeah, I respect that. I got the Brewers like sweeping clean. I think, you know, if Atlanta manages to sneak a game in Milwaukee, it changes the whole series. I just don't see it happening personally. I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything past their offense, you know, even without Acuna. I mean, Freddie Freeman's been great. Adam Duvall, you know, has every RBI out there. Ozzie Albies, you know, Dansby's always dangerous. Travis Darno has come up clutch for them a bunch. Um, they're exciting. I, I love I love that organization and, and the guys in it. So it's hard for me to root against. Plus, our boy, our boy Peter Moreland, <laughs> is incredible, and uh, I don't want to bet against him. And he's 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 on board with the Braves, but I think I think the Brewers are too much. Yeah, I think he has Braves in the CS, but they don't make the World Series. But correct. All right, so we both have the Dodgers winning the Wild Card game, so that leaves us both with Giants Dodgers. So who you got there? Uh, I've got the Giants. Um, I just think in a five game series, these guys know how to win. They're, they've got a formula that's, that's special, and I, I wouldn't bet against them. They won 107 games in the regular season. They were on top the whole time, never really skipped a beat from just being dominant all year long. Uh, and I picked them, man. I won't bet against them. Yeah, I have the Giants, too. That's probably going to be a much more like competitive series, in my opinion, much more like things to look out for, I guess. But like you know, they've been pretty much even in their head-to-head this year. I don't have the exact numbers on me. Whereas some of the other, you know, division matchups are probably going to be a little bit more lopsided, um, like Rays, Red Sox, which we can go to next, unless you want to stick National League first, whatever uh, you want. Yeah, to I've I've got, uh, you know, Rays, Red Sox. I've got the Rays. I've got the Rays. They're just better. They're like the the math equivalent of a cheat code. So I don't know what it is, you know, outside of Brandon Lau. I don't know what's going on. And they just win. All right, so so far we're the same on everything then, because I also have the race. I had the race sweeping whoever won the wild card, and I'll. Yeah, sorry to my New York and Boston fans, but that's all right. Who you got? Who you got for the White Sox and the Astros? I have Astros wiping them clean, just because the White Sox have not won a game in Houston this year, and like their head to head is rough. So I'm kind of just going with the numbers there, um, and like you know the. There's a lot of talk of like building momentum into the postseason. I don't know how true that is. You probably know better than me because you're on the field for postseason teams. But like the White Sox haven't played meaningful games in like a month and a half, like maybe even two months. And I feel like that does affect you a little bit because you kind of have to just manufacture intensity and like get right back into it because it's a five game set and you got to win three. And like it can happen like that. It's over in a week. So I feel much more comfortable about the Astros. They've been here before. They've won playoff series many times over the past seven years and stuff like that. So I'm going Houston. 
Yeah, this is where we diverge. Oh. Uh, I've got the White Sox. Wow. I okay. think, you know, you talk about building up momentum. This is the one place where I feel like Tony Larusa. You know, I'm I was against the hire to begin with. I just feel like it was an unnecessary, you know, hiccup, if you will, especially with, with the, the DUI and everything. Yeah. Um, but. I picked the White Sox, man. This guy knows how to win. He's done it in every form and every you know decade. It feels like, and they're talented. They are super talented, and in a in a game that always you know in the in the playoffs ends up on the bullpen. They've got two of the premier closers in the game in the eight nine with Kimbrel and Liam Hendricks. So hard for me to bet against them. Plus, I'm a huge Lance Lynn fan. Oh, of course, so, yeah, of course. Okay, so I've I've got the White Sox. So White Sox Rays. Uh, Giants, Brewers. All right, let's do AL first. Okay, you go ahead. All right, I still I have the Rays making the World Series again. I don't think anybody in the American League stops them. Um, I think they have a winning record against every team in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe they're like a little bit closer against uh, the Astros. Um, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Actually, well, I was I I heard Rays White Sox and I said Rays there, but I have Rays Astros. And I'm going Astros, actually. Sorry, I confused myself. Oh, you're taking, you've got the Astros beating the Rays here. Yes, I have the Astros beating the Rays here. I confused myself at first. I'm not switching it up again. You can check my Twitter, don't worry. No, 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 I got you. (laughs) We're we're in the same boat here where I have the White Sox beating the Rays. I think that's kind of an upset for both of us. We have have a different team besides the Tampa Bay Rays advancing to, you know, the World Series. So I think that's huge. Interesting. Yeah, so we both have one and two in the CS. Did you also pick two in the National League? Seating wise, um, I no, I've got <laughs> I've got the Giants. I have the I've got the Giants over the Brewers. Okay, I have starting pitching, uh, winning championships here. I have the Brewers going over the Giants. That's the, Brew Crew. Yeah, but I like Giants rotation is still good, but their bullpen is nasty. But I just think even without Devin Williams, I still think the Brewers have the edge there. And then it just comes down to your offense. And I think missing Brandon Belt is going to be fucking huge. But you know who knows? I think it's going to go seven for sure. Uh, yeah, that's that was that for me. Ha- not having Max Muncy was the big reason why I had the the Giants pushing over the Dodgers. But I think the Devin Williams absence is going to be huge because I think they're going to push Hater yeah. to pitch more than that one inning. Or if they don't, they're going to fill it in with a lesser pitcher. Um, I would love to know the full story behind the Devin Williams punching a wall yeah, I have no after idea. a victory. After after the victory, who knows? Um, he was upset about something. You know, must have been something important. It's a big mistake, but but uh, I've got the Giants uh, beating Milwaukee. I honestly, I feel comfortable with Hater there, just because he hasn't given up a run in two months. You know what I mean? Like maybe you're. Yeah, gonna, he looks. He looks great. Yeah, like you might stretch him thin, but like I think he's been here enough because this is like their fourth consecutive season making the postseason. Like they're a perennial contender now, in my opinion. And like Hater's been here enough times. He's had the heartbreak when he lost to the Nationals. Um, so I think, you know, he, he's grizzled as a competitor now, and I really think he can be that two-inning guy. I don't know if he can do it, like, every night or, like, four times out of five in a series, you know what I mean? But I think if they need to lean on him for a big win and, like, a decisive game, I think he can step up to it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think he could do it if they need him, but I think they're going to need him every night yeah. if they're trying to win. That's true. And that's going to add up in a, in a seven-game series. I don't, I don't hate it. I think they're an amazing team starting pitching. Hard for me to bet against that because they are elite, but like, you know, they've, they haven't been pitching nine innings. So we'll see. Uh, so you have Astros. Astros Brewers and you have White Sox Giants. 
White Sox Giants. I think I think MLB likes yours more. I have the White Sox beating the Giants. All the way. I have the White Sox winning a World Series. It's only betting against the Giants because it is an odd year and they only win in even years. Mm, so you're going superstition. That's what we do. Okay. Okay. I mean, I needed a reason for the for the Giants to not win because they've all they've done is win. And that was the one I came up with. I think the talent on the White Sox roster is going to be too much. I feel like they are building momentum with the guys that, you know, Luis Robert, uh, they've just started to add all their health in their lineup. You got on base guys and like Tim Anderson and then their rotation is great. Um, I, I just like that team and I have to take them to I have to take giants down. So, okay. I, I like their three headed monster in the rotation, the two headed monster in the bullpen. The one thing for me was just that I feel like they didn't beat up on winning teams enough and they had those AL Central teams to kind of feast and uh, boost up that record a little bit. But I'm saying, you know, in the post, like, it's not like they're going to be a bad team, but I just, I, I don't have as much faith in them. I think you're rolling with the superstition, which I can respect. And, you know, having a manager that's won a championship before probably helps too. My matchup, I don't think MLB loves just for, like, ratings, I guess, because White Sox Giants is, like, Titan, Titan, and you got like the new crop there. I'm like, well, it's also old guys on both sides, so that's kind of fun too. Astros, Brewers, I think you know, like I, I just like the Astros being like having this one final ride to the end because I don't, I don't think Correa is coming back. I think they're losing more pieces outside of that too. Like Granky's probably going as well. Um, but I do have, I have the Brew Crew winning it all. I, the, the Bucks won the NBA championship. Uh, the finals there, and I think it's just going to be Milwaukee's year. I don't know if it's going to be Green Bay as well. I, I'm I'm not believing too much in the Packers yet, um, but I have the Brew Crew winning it. I'm just a firm believer in like if you have three ace caliber starting pitchers in your rotation, uh, you're hard to beat in a five game. Well, you're impossible to beat in a five game set. You're really hard to beat in a seven game set. And these guys are built to last. You know what I mean? They like all of them ate a load of innings this year. So I think they're built for October, and I'm really excited to see Freddie Peralta and see how he does because he's the one that's kind of like going to be new to a deep postseason run. He wasn't really around in their 2018 run when they got to Game Seven against the Dodgers. But like Burns, I think you know he had those bullpen innings, and like now he's like the ace. He's proven himself. Woody's been reliable for them forever. I don't see anyone stopping the Brewers, but you know if they get knocked down the DS, I'm going to look pretty silly. But I'm going Brewers of the Astros. Let's call it six games. Uh, yeah, man, I, I like it personally because I'm a big dusty fan, but I will not root for the Astros. I don't like the way Correa handled, you know, the controversy I'm all for getting a chip on your shoulder, but you know, I, I, I'm not a booing guy, but I think they deserve it full. Well, I, I need, I need a villain. I need a villain in the end, you know, that's what I mean. If you're going to, I like having a villain and, and the Astros will play that role. It'll be fun. Uh, I, I like I like your pick. I like Milwaukee built on pitching. Um, it's hard to argue against that. So it'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. last night's game. It was fun at the beginning, and then it kind of just turned into a blowout. But I almost forgot that uh, this is a Mets podcast, hence the name Shea Station, and hence the Mets player, the Mets <laughs> fan. So we have Mets things to talk about. I just want to let's hit the Mets stuff. Yeah. So everyone knows the big news by now in the Mets world. After two seasons, two of the strangest seasons I've probably seen as a Mets fan, uh, Luis Rojas will not be returning uh, as the New York Mets manager. Uh, This is now two consecutive rookie managers who were canned after two seasons. That's succeeding Terry Collins. It's been Mickey Calloway and Rojas. 
The Mets have now cycled through two managers and three general managers in a year's time. So it's been a full 365 of dysfunction uh, in the managerial aspect of this team. The Mets, what I did appreciate, and I'm sure you did as well, they did offer Rojas the chance to return to the organization in some capacity. For those who don't know, Rojas was with the Mets for a long time before he became their manager as a bench coach, as a minor league manager, which is the pipeline that I always appreciate for guys reaching the big league level. I feel like, you know, you've worked along uh, the younger prospects in the system, some of which you'll get to coach in the major league level. So I've always believed in that. And Rojas has been renowned as a player development talent. So I think whatever organization he ends up with, that organization will be very lucky to have his services. I don't know if he'll come back to the Mets because you know, what is your ultimate goal as a coach? Is it to become an MLB manager? Because if that is the case, that's no longer feasible for Rojas here. So he might want to go elsewhere. But I want to get your thoughts on the whole thing first. Yeah, first of all, you know, it's a big loss. Like the the results weren't there and he understands it. He handled it with grace. He said, look, you know, this is results-based industry. We didn't win. I understand. Um, you know, so it, to me, it comes down to the Mets are going to lose him if he wants to be a big league manager again, he got a taste of it. He had the, that like the pandemic season and then coming in now and dealing with injuries and, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, he was dealt a tough, tough hand. Uh, that was a difficult first gig as a big league manager. But if he wants to manage again, like you said, he's going to have to move on. And if the Mets lose him, they're losing a great developmental mind. Um, somebody that really shaped a lot of the players you see on this roster, or at least help shape. Um, you know, so I wish him, I wish him the best. Uh, I'll, 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 I haven't shot him a text. I want to let things kind of settle down. Um, but I just, you know, I, I respect him. Uh, you, you saw Stevie Cohen's um, tweet about just saying nothing but respect for the, the man himself. And, and I, I suck at that. He's a great human being, uh, a really smart baseball mind. And then he just got, you know, he didn't succeed at this level. I hope it's not his last chance if he wants it. I hope he gets another shot down the road somewhere if that's what he wants. So we'll see, we'll see what he wants. Yeah. The, uh, the exact quote from Steve on Twitter was want to thank Luis for his work as a manager. He's a good man who represented the Mets with dignity and calm during two extremely trying years. And I think that's a perfect summation of Rojas's tenure as a Met. Um, I've, I don't think I've seen a manager get dealt a tougher hand in New York uh, during my entire existence as a New York Met fan. You had the 60 game pandemic season where he had new players that he had never met. And he's sort of thrust into things with an entirely new coaching staff uh, with the only familiar face on the staff being like Dave Joust and Jeremy Hefner. Cause he used to play here. Then you have the full season where half your roster gets injured and the other half underperforms and you keep them afloat for over a hundred days in first place only for things to sort of crash down at the very end. And I don't think that was Rojas's fault. And you know, some fans don't appreciate or feel endeared to the calm demeanor that Rojas brought to every presser after every tough loss. Um, I always appreciated it. And it may, it may, may have made people think that he might've not cared what was going on or not taken it seriously. But I think that was exactly what the Mets needed during this atrocious storm that they endured for the last two months of the season. Someone just, you know, calm, ready to, you know, wear it, as you say often on this podcast, wear, you know, the struggles of the team uh, on his shoulder. So, I mean, Luis, he got dealt, a ridiculously tough hand. He handled it with grace. I think he would make a fantastic manager elsewhere um, with a few more years under his belt, but I'm a huge advocate for the bench coach to manager pipeline. I feel like the bench coach is one of the most important positions on a team, just developing player relationships and developing players in the first place. Um, because those are core skills that you can't really just like learn on the, f learn on the spot as a manager. And like, I feel like they can make or break a team at times. 
Yeah, I think a, a bench coach is basically your your you know your deputy. It's the second guy in charge. He's there. He helps the manager deal with the day to day, and he's also the you know the conduit between the players and even the coaching staff. Sometimes you know when coaches have an issue, there's a little bit of a pipeline there that you need to have that that perfect conduit between who you are and what you represent and your authority, and then somebody that they could talk to 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 voice disagreements. I think that would be an excellent next step for him if he gets a chance to be that because, you know, like, like Mets fans, they have every bit uh, a good reason to be upset or have a gripe or not like it, whatever he did, because that's, this is a job. This is a public job and you can feel about it however you want. His personality was, that is who he is. He's, he's reserved. He's, He's soft-spoken. He's very kind, very respectful, and always will be that. Um, if you want a guy with fire, that's a personality trait that that you want to see out of a, a manager. You know, we saw what personality did when when Van Wagenen was the, the GM. We saw a guy that wanted to be out front in front of the camera. You know, depends on what you want. It depends on, on your personality, what you want to see, you know, but – Rojas is who he is. He stuck to who he was. He wasn't trying to pretend and be somebody else. And again, he's a great baseball mind. Um, it just didn't work out for these last two years. And, and it is what it is. So I wish him nothing but the best. It really, I, I don't know if it's going to be the exact same scenario because this is probably a once in a blue moon thing, but it, it's very, it's, it's reminiscent to me of Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia because Gabe Kapler as we now know, because of the success of the San Francisco Giants, is a very spiritual, calm, reserved guy who, you know, has his own way about going about things. And he was placed in probably the worst city to manage in for a guy like himself, which was Philadelphia, who appreciates a rowdy, outspoken, traditional manager. And he had two seasons there. He floundered in both of them and was sort of kicked to the curb. And I think he ended up in a place that was absolutely perfect for him in San Francisco. I, I hope that Rojas still wants to manage because I still think he would be good at it. And I hope he ends up in a scenario like that where the city or the team that he manages for works to his skill set. Now, I'm not saying the Mets didn't work to his skill set. And this very well could have been a winning season where Rojas won manager of the year. Like it was going to be one of those two extremities with the season that this team had. Um, but there needed to be a fall guy and it's never going to be, you know, your star player or anything like that. It's always going to be your manager, especially when there's no GM default since there's no acting GM. So Rojas got dealt a tough hand. I don't know what's next for him. If it means he's coming back to New York, I would be incredibly gracious of that, but I have serious doubts. As a Mets pod, you, I think this is the bottom line. If the Mets get to retain his services in some capacity, it would be a huge get for the organization because he's done a phenomenal job in developing talent. Um, he's adapted to the times because he's in, you know, his bloodlines of being in baseball are huge. And he's kind of learned along the way, like from, from birth, he was given uh, a baseball handbook. Um, Whatever, whatever he does, wherever he goes, he's going to be an asset for whatever organization he ends up in. Um, so, you know, best of luck, bud. I hope, you know, I hope you get, I hope you stay with the Mets, but if you want to be a manager again, you know, find a place like Kapler, find a place that, that needs your kind of services. So.
So I, I can tell from our tone that we're both a little dejected over this. It was kind of one of those things that needed to happen, but I'm just not happy about it at all. Yeah, man. The team didn't win. The team didn't win. The players underperformed. You can put that on the manager. You could say he didn't motivate his guys properly. There's so many reasons that it fits. It just made sense because we're going to get a new front office. We're going to get, you know, go into a lot of choices. And it's it was best to just kind of clear the slate um and let and let those guys pick who they want because you don't want to leave any excuses he was kind of a carryover to this from this last regime um and now that's all gone and so you know he was <laughs> it was a tough hand and bottom line is the team didn't win so you got to do what you got to do so I was I was incredibly grateful to the Mets for giving him another shot when they didn't really need to after that 60 game go because that would have just been writing him off without really giving him a chance in the first place but yeah, you're right. We need to wipe the slate clean. We're getting a new GM. We're getting hopefully a new president of baseball operations and by proxy, a new manager, three incredibly important positions to fill before you even think about personnel and uh, filling out the roster and stuff like that. But I think what the Mets need to do here, and you know, this I, you could differ an opinion here, but I don't think the Mets can go forward with another rookie manager, a third consecutive rookie manager, because I feel like you might fall into a pattern there. And I've already seen... Uh, pictures of Carlos Beltran, uh, you know, in his manager presser that have gone up. And, you know, while it would be interesting to live out that timeline that never was, I think the Mets need some sort of uh, a guide here that has been down this path before that, and, you know, would, that, would he be considered a rookie manager? Like, I don't, cause you know, he's been, <laughs> he played forever and he knows the game obviously, but like, ah, oh, I, I don't know if I would like to see a third consecutive rookie manager. I really don't know. So the one thing is I, I've, you can't have, for me, you can't have a guy, this be the first time he's ever managed, like in the minor leagues or in the big leagues. Like you can't, we can't have a, a, a Mickey Calloway rookie that's never had to do the day-to-day -day operations of a managerial job. There's just too many things to learn on the fly on top of being the face of an organization in front of the media twice a day. Um, there's just too many things to learn. You need somebody that at least has been a manager, a bench coach, somebody with some experience that all these things aren't going to be brand new because podcasting, this isn't very hard to do. Like it, the, the, the dynamics are pretty easy, but the first few times that you do it, you're learning your, your coworkers, your camera setup. There's just so many little things that you have to learn on the fly. So having a guy that's done it at least a little bit would be uh, on top of the list of candidates for me. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, you can't – I mentioned before the pipeline of minor league guy to manager. Um, you can't really do that right now with the Mets. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I saw a tweet from Jacob Resnick, who works for SNY, does a great job. The Mets' AAA system in the past six seasons has had five different managers, so they have been equally as dysfunctional as the major league team. And I don't think the Mets are going to be looking down much further the ladder than that. So it's going to have to be a new face coming in. Uh, SNY put together a potential list of candidates. I don't agree with the likelihood of all of them, but some of them are definitely interesting to say the least. Some of them are missing that I think we should talk about as well. Of course, Beltron is at the top of the list because that's the one that's most highly noted because he was in and out like that. Um, but there are also some other interesting veteran names that I really uh, would enjoy seeing. The top of my list, in my opinion, uh, is Ron Washington, who's currently coaching third base for the Atlanta Braves. I was a huge fan of Ron when he was coaching Texas. I think that 
you know, while he's a huge get for that Braves coaching staff, I think he's being severely underutilized as just a third base coach. I think he has so much more to offer uh, with, you know, his many years of wisdom and stuff like that. But you got your Buck Showalter here. You got Clint Hurdle, who managed the Pirates for a little bit. And then, of course, your favorite, which, you know, if it happens, I'm absolutely thrilled, which is uh, Bob Melvin via trade. So. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm I knew you would. Your eyes for a second here. So for two things, Ron Washington, incredible baseball mind. I played against him when he was at the helm for the Rangers. Um, and here's a little tie in. He was on Bob Melvin's coaching staff. There you go. So he helped develop Marcus Simeon who they got in via trade and he turned him from a very, very poor infielder that he led the league in errors at shortstop like astronomical and he he showed him the ropes on how to get better he did it every day you see him out there you see him with Ozzy Albies and and Acuna and Freeman always working on little drills the guy is a fantastic baseball mind this is speculation I actually don't know the full gist of it but I think the reason he left Oakland to go to Atlanta was familial i think he needed to be in the east coast area for family so if i think he left bob melvin because he wanted to be located closer to where he's from east coast yeah i'm just saying melvin if melvin goes to you might get both again pure speculation don't play with my heart like that don't play with my heart I, i i promise you if you got to ask ron washington if he enjoyed working for for bob melvin or with Bob Melvin, he would be all about it because Bob is the man. Not anything against Snicker. I love Brian Snicker. I think he's done an amazing job. He's He is a 100% Atlanta Brave. He does an amazing job. For a guy that didn't have as much like playing experience, the way he – I think I, I like Snit. I think he does a great job. I think he's um, – I think he doesn't get enough credit for how well he handles that team. I think he he's excellent. But – uh there's so ron washington would be interesting uh again if bob melvin bob melvin's my man i don't know if you looked on twitter after uh i had that sny clip that, that oh, i sent I did. out saying they used your uh war general uh quote again but we had it first just saying yeah yes 100 percent. and so like i found out that's that's how i love to say it and so underneath it I had guys that had played for him before in the past guys that I played, you know, Travis Blackley, all these guys are like, if it means anything, Ryan cook, who's, 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 Oh a yeah. Great I player. remember Ryan cook. I think he made an all-star team for what it's worth. They all said for what it's worth. He's my favorite manager I've ever played for. It's because he brings the best out of his players. And on a team where you have Francisco Lindor who underperformed, you had Michael Conforto. If he comes back in whatever capacity, He's going to get out every bit of talent out of that. And I think he is interested in this job. So if the Mets really want him, I think they can go get him because Oakland is, he's tied into Oakland. You got to get him via trade. Go get him, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm not putting my faith in any of the trade acquisition candidates just because I don't want to get my hopes up in that vein. And I do think that Ron Washington would be a fantastic consolation prize. Obviously, you know, you don't like there are there are fans that don't want to go too old in the manager aspect or too old in the GM aspect or anything like that. But you know, Marcus Semyon with his uh, new contract looming has requested or has stated that he still views himself as a shortstop. And with your anecdote there, I truly believe that Ron Washington probably has a huge reason to do with that. I feel like you know Semyon's confidence never goes up. He stays at second base, gets comfortable there, and remains a second baseman. 
But with a coach like that, it really can, like you said, bring the best out of a player. So, I mean. When you, when you can eliminate the doubt that it is playing defensively, that opens you up offensively too. So he was able to develop because he didn't have to focus because he knew how to get better at being a fielder. He could get better as a hitter as well because he locked in that daily routine. I think that's, you know, that's amazing. Uh, I, I, can we cover a couple more names on this list? Go so Carlos it, Beltran, obvious, still an option. Uh, Eduardo Perez is interesting. I didn't know that his name was out there. I, I would be sad if he got the job because I think he's so fantastic as, as a media personality. I love watching and listening to him. Uh, I think it would be great uh, if they can get him. I don't know. I don't even know if he, it's, is this just like speculation or is his well, name been in the hat? When he, he interviewed uh, during Rojas's round and made it to the very end, but didn't get the job. And I didn't know that it would be, it would be a very New York hire in my opinion, because he is very good in front of the camera. He's a very well-spoken man. Um, and I think that, you know, he's probably one of these guys that's going to be great at relating uh, with some of the players on the Mets roster. But, I mean, I'm actually not sure. Does he have uh, any managerial experience before? Not to my knowledge. You go ahead and you, you pull up the Google machine. I'm going to go check that out. I believe he was with How the about Astros. Todd Zeal? Did Todd Zeal, uh, did he, did, he's on the list. Did he, did he interview? Is he, is this a thing that he wants? I, uh, I appreciate the work that SNY does. I think that was them, you know tipping their hat a little bit to one of their employees. Filling I don't, I don't know. The, filling out the brackets. I don't know, man. I could be wrong. Who's to say, uh, as a coach, Eduardo Perez was with the Marlins in 2011 and 2012 and the Astros in 2013. So three, uh, very bad seasons, uh, win loss wise, but at least he's been on the field before at a major league level. That's definitely a boost there. Um, but amongst these other names, Todd Zeal doesn't really, uh, jump out to me. No slack on Zeal. I think he does a good job on SNY. Uh, and that's just because of where my mentality at, uh, in terms of like what I want out of a manager, but you got a couple interesting names here. You got John Gibbons who was managing those really successful blue Jays teams in the uh, mid 2010s. Um, Buck Showalter, who's part of those uh, successful Orioles teams. He's been an analyst for a little bit now. And this was brought up on talking baseball, I believe by Jimmy. And I thought it was a really interesting point because if you see um, Dusty Baker of the Astros or Tony LaRusa of the White Sox go to the world series, does that, influence your mentality towards hiring a veteran manager at all? Like, do you think that that weighs on the conscious of the front office? I, th I think it does. I think, but they, they got, um, well, especially dusty. They, he got handed the reins of a very well-oiled machine on their, you know, on the down of their peak, he's getting guys at the end. Um, but it doesn't say anything bad about dusty. Dusty had a giants team, he had a Reds team, you know, they, he had the Nationals. So he's won. He's a winning coach. Um, I actually, I really like Dusty um, talking to Jay Bruce about his days in Cincinnati, you know, when we played together. I like Dusty. I like what he brings. He brings a winning attitude. I have no interaction whatsoever with La Russa, but I think it shows you that a guy that knows how to handle a team, when given a team with a core together, because you know, the Mets have their, their core, at least, you know what I'm saying? They have their guys. They have the best pitcher in baseball. They got one of the best position players in baseball with, with Lindor. They've got Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, one of the power hitting, you know, premier power hitting guys in the game. They have that core. And then you can put a guy that knows how to handle those personalities in charge. I think it's, I think it means something. It might just me being an old guy and saying, you know, being old helps, but it is what it is. 
And like whether or not you agree, because I, I feel like we're sort of on the same page in that regard, whether, whether or not you agree, I don't think the Mets can afford to fall into a pattern here because, you know, one time, you know, okay, you made a mistake, whatever. Two times, okay, you wanted to try out something. It didn't work in consecutive times. Three times, now you're falling into a pattern. And if it's a two-year stint again, it's just going just gonna to waste seasons of Mets baseball that we could be capitalizing on. And a big thing for me, player-wise, coaching-wise, even front office-wise, is getting guys that have been to the dance before, getting guys that have been in postseason games, have been in that atmosphere, because you can marvel at it all you want, but I was watching the AL wildcard game last night, and that game was like no game in the regular season. It was different. The crowd is different. The atmosphere is different. The coverage of the game is different. And because of that, you will be influenced by it, whether you're a player or a coach. And I think you need a guy that's been there and can handle the pressure and, and can also calm down the players who may, who may be going to the postseason for the very first time. So, like, I see a lot of fun, younger, and, like, newer candidates here, especially Eduardo Perez. I don't think I'd be too upset with that hire, especially because he's been on the field before. But I'm, my heart is going towards these guys that, like, Ron Washington has been to the World Series. Clint Hurdle has been to three wild card games. Buck Showalter has been to the ALCS. Like, I just, that stands out to me so much more. If I had to, if I had to rank, I'm like, Bob Melvin is number one. And then you got Ron Washington. And again, I don't even know if that's a possibility. Uh, and then I would go, I mean, Buck Showalter. I would go I John. G- I would go John Gibbons after that. I think Gibbons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know until they start interviewing guys and really publicly saying who's on their, who's on their list, or at least I think it would be, you know, I'm not, <laughs> this is a rare for me. Uh, I don't think you should leak information at all as an organization for the most part but if you want bob melvin leak it out there say hey we're we would love to you know start talking to the a's that puts a little bit pressure on oakland to be like oh well if you want money this is what you guys always complain about or you want prospects let him go let him interview i mean maybe see, see what's out there i don't know i think it's i think it would be nice for the Mets to be like, hey, he's here's the guy. Here are the guys. Here's the list of people that we want. Let's see what we can get. I think it would be nice because this is a this is a premium job. This is a premier job. It's a tough market. It's a tough fan base. They want you to win. If you think you can win, step right up. Step up to the table. It'd be wonderful. I think I think people want this job. If you're a manager, you have a fantastic core of guys. Uh, uh, an owner who wants to win and has deep pockets in a fan base that is so eager for a, for a championship that you would be a hero in the biggest city in the world. Like I, I just, it would be, if I were a manager, I would want this job. Yeah. I think the applicant list will not be short, but we also have to keep in mind that, well, one, the Yankees who are now out of the playoffs uh, have their contract running out on Aaron Boone. And, you know, obviously the fans are very displeased with how the past five years have gone, the baby bomber era, if you will. So there could be two New York managerial jobs opening up. And that kind of puts pressure on the Mets to get something done, uh, to put something together. I don't think the Yankees would be targeting a guy like Melvin. I think they would go an, an alternate route in that case. But yeah, there, there is certain pressure to get this right. But again, this manager hire, as fun as it is to talk about, it will not be decided before a president is uh, appointed and then a GM is appointed. Because I think they want those guys to pick their own and kind of form the front office their way because the Mets haven't had that in a while where they can kind of just build from the ground up and completely get a clean slate, a fresh start. 
So we'll be speculating for a while. I'm hoping that there is leaks, and there usually is with how New York does things. Um, but top of the list is going to be getting uh, the president of baseball operations. And the guy that me and you obviously both want is Billy Bean. And Billy Bean commented on the speculation for the very first time uh, earlier this week. He said that he didn't want to lend credibility to it. That's a quote. And he said, again, it's all press reports. And he says it's a compliment to the organization when he and guys like uh, Bob Melvin are mentioned in that capacity, but he didn't confirm or deny anything. So it's still very much up in the air, but it is at least a thought in his brain. So that's a win, I guess. I yeah. He's at least, he's at least read some, some, you know, headlines. Uh, yeah. I mean, he handles it. He's a pro. He knows what he can and can't say he's part owner. You know, he's, he's running the show over there. He's like, you know, it's an honor. It seems we're, we're doing things at least, you know, in an admirable way. So people would want to uh, replicate it or, you know, copy it and paste it over into Queens. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it would be great. Uh, th- these are, that's why I think Melvin's not just if they get Billy Bean, but I think Melvin is important because he's open via trade. So you're not going to get teams like the Yankees that are going to want to just hire their own guy. If you want him, it's going to be, you can do it later on before all the other managerial jobs that are open fill in because then you can be like, look, let's go get our guy. We have to trade for him. Let's do it. Well, the Mets have, as most fans know, if you've been following on Twitter, there's three guys on the main radar that the Mets want. It's uh, Billy Bean, as we just mentioned. It's uh, David Stearns, who's in the middle of a playoff race with the Milwaukee Brewers, but he is a Met fan. So that's, I guess, an important thing to note. And then the third is the guy that they've formally reached out to first, which is Theo Epstein. This is the one that I view the least likely. I just, I don't really see it coming together. I also see it pleasing the least fans who have kept up with Theo over recent years. Uh, and John Heyman, whether, however you feel about him, whatever, you know, distaste you might have for him, he's been all over the Mets beat ever since he, the vacant positions have risen up and he tweeted, and I don't, I don't know the legitimacy to this, but Heyman has hit on a few things. He said that general consensus is that among their top three known choices that we just mentioned, uh, the Mets have the best chance to get Billy Bean. Theo Epstein and David Stearns, for a variety of reasons, are seen as less likely. He didn't specify why. But Epstein is the first one that has gotten, I guess, a formal invitation uh, for that job. So take with that what you will, I guess. Yeah, I think I think Theo's a long shot because I think he enjoys the job that he has right now with Major League Baseball. I think he can he can shape something differently. He's being creative. He's already done, you know, two separate builds of an organization to to win a championship he's already done it if he wants to stay completely creative or if he wants to try his hand at doing it again you know I, I don't see it happening I think a mind like his wants to stay kind of open to interpretation and, and new things coming at him he's still young he's he can go back and do this again later if he wants because he knows he has a formula he has a, the idea of how it goes so I think he stays in his role again pure pure speculation David Stearns is interesting. I think the main thing is if the, I think he's under contract still with the Brewers. Right. So I don't think they would let, let him go. I, Sandy talked about that when he started to try to hire coaching staff and, and GMs and president of baseball ops teams aren't allowing their guys who are under contract to interview anymore. They're not allowing them to, to, to step to another organization because they're like, hey, we got you under contract. We don't have to let you go. You're going to stay with us. And that's, I think, the biggest hurdle for Stearns coming over is if the Brewers say, no, thanks. We, we don't we don't want to let you go. We got you. You can go there next year or where, whenever your contract's up. Yeah, and if 
I'm if I'm the owners in Milwaukee, you have four consecutive postseason berths, and this is probably the best roster you've put together this century. There's no reason to let Stearns go other than the fact that he's a Mets fan and he wants to, which I don't think is a convincing reason at all. Yeah, I, I don't see them allowing him to move on. You know, maybe they give him an extension to keep him happy, or maybe they're like, look, man, you know, we have you. We can't afford, you know, being a, a smaller market team. Not small, but smaller. They they try to keep him honest and to his word and because they would have to refill that same position in somewhere. Maybe they do it internally. I think it's a long shot, and I still think Billy Bean is a long shot. I think there's so many things to overcome. There, there has to be so many moving parts, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. I think if Billy Bean wants to do it, they'll figure it out. We'll see. It's all very uncertain and spooky. <laughs> it's fun to talk about. It, it really is. is because there's so many options. I just feel like all of those coaches that, that we want, or at least are on top of my list and all the front office people that we want, it's all hard. And so what do you prioritize? Where do you go? Do you start going after Theo? And then when Billy, what do you, whatever you want to do, it's interesting. I'm glad I don't have to try to figure that logistically out. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see kind of the inner workings uh, from the inside out and outside in. And it's, it's, it's made even tougher by the fact that the Mets have a time limit. Like they don't have a lot of time to deliberate and figure things out in a, a slow manner because you have that trickle down effect of, okay, after that we get the GM and then we get the manager. You also have uh, four guys potentially leaving the organization from your team that are key pieces or you view them as such. And then a huge big free agent class full of guys that you might want to, you know, pick up. And like, I don't think the Mets can have another off season where they have different guys in negotiating that wouldn't be constructing the roster in the first place, but you're going to say something. That's what I was going to ask you. So name those four guys that are, that are potentially leaving. Baez, Stroman, Conforto, uh, and I'm missing one. I believe, let me, let me check. So maybe it's just three then. Who am I missing? Well, I'll, I'll you look it up. So Baez oh, is... Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Baez is going to be a free agent. There's no reason for him to sign unless you're going to, unless you're going to give him a huge deal that he can't even negotiate. He's a free agent already. So he's not going to, he's not going to sign a normal deal and the Mets aren't going to give him Lindor money to make him stay. So he's on the open market. That's fine. You're going to get a qualifying offer from Conforto. I think the, the long-term negotiation is out the door. So I think extending him a qualifying offer is an easy done. Noah Syndergaard for me is an easy qualifying offer. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that happens. I think he's looks ready interesting yeah and so I don't think you're gonna that might be a, a guy that wants to stay in New York he loves the city he's he had has success here he would be very sad to leave the organization so I view him as definitely the most likely to return and probably the soonest to return to yeah I think maybe if there's an actual negotiation being done I think again I think Sandy could do this a little bit and the the, the pieces he already has in place um, talking to Noah and be like, Hey, what do you, what do you see um, coming off injury? And then um, who was the last one? Marcus Stroman. Oh, Stroman Stroman's, you know, if again, he's already a free agent, the only way you're going to get him to stay without hearing other teams is to blow every other deal out of the water. Something that he doesn't think he's going to see elsewhere. 
and which I don't see happening again without a front office. So basically, all your choices are done. The only big choice is do you extend Syndergaard a qualifying offer? And yeah, I feel like people are smart enough in that position that they don't need a president of baseball ops to do that or a GM yet. They can figure that out on their own. And then you start from scratch. Okay. Well, Stroman has been very active on Twitter ever since the season has ended and during the season as well. Um, Two things. He obviously uh, aired out that there have been no extension talks, and that's not entirely surprising because there's nobody really in the position to open those discussions. But he also uh, addressed his openness to returning to the Blue Jays after interacting with some fans on there, which I could very likely see happening as well because the Blue Jays have money to spend and they have a rotation spot to fill. And having a full five there uh, with uh, Stroman coming back to this really competitive team would be quite the story itself. Um, it would be a loss for the Mets for sure, but there are tons of starting pitcher options on the market that we have discussed and we'll probably continue to discuss in future episodes. But I wanted to keep this episode sort of front office based because that is the first step of the Mets uh, long off season that's coming up for them. Stroman's a smart guy. He's not going to eliminate any team from a negotiation standpoint. Even if he doesn't want to go back to Toronto, he's not going to say, I don't want to go back to Toronto. That would be silly. Right. Of course that makes sense. Uh, a big wild card in this entire thing that is kind of being swept aside and forgotten is the position of Zach Scott moving forward. Zach Scott had that DUI controversy um, that was at once linked to Steve Cohen, but then wasn't. And then it became this whole thing that sort of got just swept under the rug because the Mets were struggling. Um, he's still, as of right now, uh, part of the club, just in a restricted position. Uh, nobody's addressed in what capacity he'll come back, if he'll come back at all. Um, some reports have said that he could even return as GM, but that remains to be seen as well. And I think, you know, there have been other major baseball figures that have recovered from this kind of thing, like Tony LaRusso, who we just talked about earlier. Um, and I think, I, I don't, I don't know because he, he did a great job in his short term service here. Um, but is, is Zach Scott part of your cleaning house process? Is he, is he going to the wind as well? No, I see this is where, you know, having an interaction with him, I think, this is what I think he wants. And this is what I think happens. I don't think he wanted to have that GM job. I think he's a, he's a behind the scenes kind of personality, very smart person. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed our interactions. He's the guy that when I retired, you know, I was like, Hey, Zach, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the effort and thank you for all the chances. And then I was like, Hey, am I going to get called up? And he gave me my odds. And I was like, you know, thank you for the opportunity. He was my point man respectful. I have no idea what the, the DUI thing is. Um, he pleaded innocent or not guilty or whatever it was. He, he said, you know, I didn't do it. And again, people have overcome it. I think he stays in the organization because I think he's a very talented, smart person, very capable of doing a job. I think he stays in slides underneath or assistant GM, something along that capacity. I think the Mets retain his services. I just think he falls back and you don't see him on screen very much anymore. Yeah, I do definitely agree that I, I don't think he was planning to fall into the GM position. I don't think he wanted it. I think he stepped up because the team needed him, which is admirable. Yeah, because if you fall into a situation where Sandy is president and then he's also GM and he's also making all these decisions when that wasn't the role he was introduced to in the first place, it becomes even more of a firestorm. But the Mets just, it yeah, seems so like... I, I think the Mets keep him. I think they would be, you know, up again barring whatever happens legally, if it's, if it's, you know, I hate to say, like, I don't want to downplay drinking and driving because I think it is one of the dumbest things that you can do and most selfish things, but as grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a minor legal infraction as far as that goes. Um, 
I think they can get away with retaining his services. And if they, if they don't, I think they would miss his, I think he would be a big absence. Yeah. I think it's because I think if, if a GM comes over or a president of baseball ops comes over, having him already in place to help do some of the, the day-to-day tasks that needs to be done that the, the GM doesn't have time for, I think is a big get. So. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing with him and Rojas. I think there's a, a benefactor to keeping both of them around because you want a clean house, but you also want to have guys around that just endured this entire shitstorm and know how things work uh, in that <laughs> facility. Because, you know, if you throw a bunch of new guys into it, even if they're seasoned professionals, it's going to take them a couple months, maybe even half a season to get acclimated and get adjusted after everything's been set in place. So I don't know what the future holds for Zach Scott. I don't think that there's a, a riot you know, calling for his, his head in this case, I think it's been sort of swept under the rug uh, to this point. So maybe he'll return. Maybe he won't. I think he's one of Sandy's guys. And we know that Sandy's here to stay alongside Steve. So I think that he might have, he might have a future here. I just don't think it's GM. And I think that's totally fine with him and with everybody else. I think so too. So I I, I hope they retain his services. If you know, nothing else comes out controversially, you know, Barring some unforeseen thing, I think he would be, you know, I think the Mets would benefit from him staying and I think he wants to stay. So, yeah. All right. We have done a lot of front office talk today. I think a, a very productive discussion that I think we've informed the viewers well. Uh, but obviously, you know, we're, we're going to be discussing this for the next month, maybe even longer, uh, because these decisions, you know, the firings were expected to come soon, but the decisions themselves are not imminent, in my opinion. I think they're going to be deliberated for quite a while. So, we're going to keep you updated here on Chase Station, but that's the rundown of all the potential candidates and all the holes to jump What did in. we just do? What did we do today? That was a lot. We did the our brackets and kind of semi-covered the Yankees, uh, Red Sox, wildcard game. Rojas. Um, we covered, yeah, Rojas, and then all this front office and coaching and manager job. That's, that's interesting. We did a lot. That was a lot. It's a nice, I, I, I'm, I'm liking the off-season pod because you don't have your game. Like the script is much more loose. It's kind of just, you go from one thought to the next and like you have like your tweets up and stuff, but it's, it's, a, it's more of a, a speculation discussion, which I feel like we can thrive in a little bit. And like, you know, we're, there's going to be plenty of that. Here's our, here's our clip. This is, we do our brackets. That's a big get. Then we do <laughs> uh, a managerial <laughs> vacancy. And then a front office vacancy. These are our three things in order when you listen to this podcast. Always thinking about the content is Jerry Blevins. Very nice. Well, I'm see, like I said, I'm new to this. I'm learning. You're 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 the 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 driver in this seat. I'm learning from you. Uh, and I'm I'm creating content is brand new. So you're learning quick, Jer. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Well, we still have it today in Mets history because the Mets actually have made the playoffs oh. in past seasons. That's happened before. <laughs> That's true. I was it hasn't there. happened in a while. Uh, this one comes from 1969. The Mets swept the Braves to clinch their first National League pennant, pennant excuse me, in franchise history. And then uh, 20 or 30 or so uh, years later, in 1991, David Cohn tied Tom Seaver's franchise record by striking out 19 batters in a single game. Uh, so two Jeez. late or early October Mets memories, but we also have a jog in Jerry's memory because you have two postseason stints, and I was lucky enough to find a game log from this exact date where you had a pretty damn good game. Lovely. So this one's from 2012, Oakland A's Jerry, as we so frequently mention. Uh, you pitched a scoreless frame in Game One of the 2012 American League Division Series against the Detroit Tigers, 
and you retired Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder back-to-back, both on flyouts, and those guys were crushing the ball in the early 2010s, so kudos to you. A's lost that game 3-1 to one because Justin Verlander is the man. He went seven innings, allowed one earned run, struck out 11 guys. A's would battle back in that series, make it a five-game set, but you know how the story goes there. Gosh, that was a tough one, man. We we had chances to win those both of those games. We covered it, I think, the wild card kind of set up because that was the first year of the expanded wild card. We actually won the division, but we had to play the first two games of a five-game set in Detroit, and we lost both of them. The second one in heartbreaking fashion where we kind of fell apart at the end. Uh, and then we you know, had to come back to Oakland down 2-0 or down two games, and it was a, an uphill climb. Uh, again, I think if we get past the, if we get past the Tigers there in that 2012 season, we win the world series. I truly believe that that was the, that was the year that the Tigers made it to the world series and got beat by the giants. Yeah. They got swept out. Kung Fu Panda hit like 11 home runs off Erlander. Yeah. And that would have been nice. That would have been a Bay area world series. And I think it would have been a really good one too. Yeah. That would have been the Bay bridge series. Hopefully minus the earthquake, you know, no earthquake this time. Yeah, no earthquake this time, but that was a, a lovely memory for me, but also like one of those dang, if only kind of seasons. It was my favorite season I've ever had, Bob Melvin at the helm. Uh, it was fantastic. Like, I hope they make like a uh, a movie or some type of documentary. It's not going to be a 30 for 30 because we got beat in the in the division series. But I would love to feel the momentum of that because it was it was a fun, fun season. I mean, Jared. You got a baseball video maker right here. Just say the word. Oh my God. And Did I just pitch it to you? I can, that, that could work. Let's Come cut on. this out, you and I, and then we can, we, I'll, I'll, I'll open my, I got my a whole, uh, contacts list. Whole off season to work on stuff. You just, you, na- you name it. You give me a little storyline. I would love to, to, to be a part of putting that together. That'd Get your little fantastic. player interview. That'd be nice. Make it a little doc. Hey man, I could, I'll open that my contacts list and we'll, we'll get guys to interview. That'd be Hell incredible. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Now I have an off season plan. That's nice. John, brought to you by John boy media brought to you by John boy media. Of course you did. You did steal my closer there. I was going to say the man that managed that team was of course, Bob Melvin uh, to close the show, but uh, you stole my thunder. As he always does, whatever. You know, again, this is this is content creator newbie here. I I punt, jump the punchline. It's all right, seasoned veteran at this point. Come on. <laughs> all right, guys. Ellis, hold on, hold on. I want to. Oh yeah. Come here, buddy. <laughs> come here. That was a crazy bark. Yeah, that was my dog sitting <laughs> at the front, but I had heard oh, my little man run down the hall. What's going on, hey, we're, man? We're recording right now. Can you say hi? Can you say hi? You can't hear him, but say hello. Hello. <laughs> What's this gentleman? <laughs> What's this gentleman's name? This is Ellis. Hold on. Let me turn Ellis. off my. Here we go. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. Yeah. Let's... Oh, I can't hear you anymore. Oh, uh, that's a shame. <laughs> oh, well. That's all Well, right. this is how we end it. I, I, we missed it. <laughs> it's okay. Ellis, thank you so much for making an appearance, man. Appreciate it. One second here. We got this. There you go. Sound, sound. If you're closing out, I apologize. No, you're good. You're good. You're pleasing the people with this. It's, yeah, it's been, we we haven't seen a Blevins child yet. It's been far overdue, in my opinion. Far overdue. There we go. I'm back. You can hear me? You're back. We're okay, good. sweet. Well, Ellis, thank you for joining us for the very end of our show here. Got it. So you're welcome, buddy. You're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> 
And uh, everyone listening at home or in the car or wherever you are, thank you for tuning into Shea Station. This was a fun episode. We got plenty of off-season episodes coming up. No concrete schedule. We're going to hop on whenever there's things to talk about or players to talk to. Uh, but for the 15th episode of Shea Station, brought to you by John Boy Media, I am Jolly Olive. I am Jerry Blevins with my boy Ellis. Hell yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you, guys. Let's go Mets. Strike three. A career high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom. Alonso to his left.